this morning, as we're thinking about some of that, I, I want us to kind of uh, to, to talk about what does that mean to serve and love our community? Who is that? Who is involved? Um, is, it, is it the poor of our community? And certainly it is. I, I think we do a lot here as a church. I believe there's a biblical mandate for God's people to care for the poor. And we, we take that very, very seriously here. We do care for the poor. Uh, it, but I don't believe it's limited to that. I think we're called to serve and love everyone in our community. Uh, and, and that includes, and, and I want to kind of focus on this a little bit today as we just think about caring for people. It includes people that are different than us. Portland is a, an increasingly diverse community. Anybody notice that? Uh, when I moved here 20 years ago, one of the first things that I noticed was it was very difficult to find good Mexican food. And growing up in Southern California and spending a lot of time south of the border, that was disappointing to me. Uh, my fondness for tacos has been well documented and is now immortalized on a t-shirt. Tacos are my love language, and so I was a little disappointed. But that's changed over the last 20 years, hasn't it? And now, once a month, we do our community Sunday lunch at Sanchez Taqueria. Woo-woo! And uh, recently, I read an article in the Oregonian about the 10 best taco places on Highway 99. And these guys drove two guys all the way from I-5, from, you know, 99 up at the freeway, all the way to McMinnville on Highway 99, and did a taco tour, and then you know, like, put the top, I know, that was what I said, great idea, why didn't you take me with you, uh, number one, number two, tacos, and so, uh, what, what I, my point in bringing that up is not just to talk about tacos, but to simply say this, that our community is changing, it's shifting, and it's becoming more and more diverse, it's not just a Latino community, but there are other cultures and communities in and around us all the time. I don't know how you feel about that. Um, uh, I like that personally. I enjoy diversity. I enjoy culture. Uh, I enjoy hearing people's stories and finding out what brought them here, who they are, where they came from. I will never forget uh, about two years ago walking out to the car uh, with the shopping cart of a man at our food pantry whose name is Saul, and I believe Saul came from Syria, and he started to tell me about, I just asked him, how's it going, what's going on, and tell me how disappointed he was because his wife was still there in Syria, and he had been here for seven years, and they'd been trying, they, they were doing everything to do it right. They wanted to bring her here legally so they could be together as a family again, but they couldn't get the red tape pushed through and all the correct forms and things processed to get his wife here. And they tried and tried and tried. It had been seven years and she was still away and his family was separated. And I just looked at him and said, Saul, I'll pray for you. And he burst out in tears and said, you know, no one has ever told me they'd pray for me before. And uh, I'm aware of the diversity and the change in community. And, and Here's the thing, regardless of how you feel about it, it's the reality. It's happening. Uh, we're not going to change that. I believe that uh, the world that we live in today, transportation, the mobility, uh, 
global business, it's going to continue to become more and more diverse. And cultures are going to continue to, to blend together in a greater way. Personally, I see that as a sign of the kingdom of God. I, I, I don't see it as anything less than that. Um, but this morning, I, I want us to take a few minutes and answer the biblical question, who is my neighbor? So this is a text uh, that you're probably uh, very familiar with from Luke chapter 10. Um, I want to pray, we'll read it, and then we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit and see what we can learn. Father, thank you so much for your word and the way that uh, it has the ability to actually transform our lives. And my prayer this morning is that that would in fact be the case, that you would transform our lives through your word today. Amen. Uh, This is Luke chapter 10, uh, beginning, I believe, in about verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, And when he saw the man, he passed by the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So this, uh, this little conversation, this little dialogue begins with the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life. The man asking the question is an expert in the law, it says. He's a lawyer. He's an attorney. Uh, in Jewish culture, Old Testament law, there was not the separation of church and state that we have now. So the law was the law. The Old Testament law was the law. And people were obligated to follow that. This particular man was an expert in that law. He's trained as an attorney. If you've ever been to court or been to trial, you know how attorneys work and that they use the law and they think about the law and they tear it apart and dissect it and, and sort of manipulate it. And he was very well versed in that process. He knew the law very well. Uh, and as is often the case when a religious figure of the day is, has an encounter with Jesus, he, it's, it's not, this isn't his question. He knows the answer. He's, he has ulterior motives. He's really... Uh, trying to trip Jesus up uh, in his interpretation of the law. But uh, Jesus really uh, beats him at his own game, and he answers his question, and I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but 
Just the, the ability to ask a good question is so profound. I just would encourage you to just give that some thought. And the ability to ask a good question is so profound. Jesus answers his question with a question back. And he says, well, what's, what's in the law? How do you read it? And he knows the guy knows the law, right? He's aware. He knows. He knows what he's talking about. And so uh, he, he asks him, what does it say? And the, the man answers, love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He quotes both Leviticus and Deuteronomy here. As we said recently, he sums up the law. He gets, he gets it right. Right answer, right? Um, Jesus responds affirmatively. You've answered correctly. Uh, go and do this and you live. Now, he says you've got to go do this, not just believe it. Uh, so, so there is uh, you know, an, uh, a taking on and carrying out of the law that's required beyond just believing it. Jesus is not here, by the way, advocating some sort of a salvation by works protocol. He's assuming if you uh, are a follower of God, you love God, and, and if you love God, you'll love your neighbor. And so that's, that's a given. But he says, hey, Look, you get it. You got it. You 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 know what to do. If you want eternal life, that's that's what you have to do. It's what the law says. Go do that, and you're fine. That uh, should have been, could have been, <clears throat> and if the lawyer was smart, would have been the end of the conversation. We're all good at this point. You got it. Um, our friend here, though, the the legal expert, wants to push the envelope a little bit. He he's uh, again trying to sort of tripped Jesus up, and his first attempt didn't work. So he's going to take it a little further, and he asks here sort of the uh, kind of Bill Clinton, what is the meaning of the question, you know what I mean? And uh, <laughs> so he says, uh, he wants to justify himself, and he says, who is my neighbor? That is not a smart move. Um, Jesus again answers with a, a question, but before he asks the question, he tells a little story. Now, uh, one thing I, I should mention here, the, in Old Testament law, the word neighbor, at, when it's used, always refers to someone in your community. So if you're a Jew, it's a Jew. It's someone among your people. Leviticus says, do not seek or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. There are any number of other texts throughout Old Testament law that would indicate that your neighbor is part of the community. Now, there are also provisions in the law that would indicate we're required to care for others outside of our community, but it, it makes a very clear distinction between them. Care for the foreigner and the alien, love your neighbor as yourself. There's a distinction there. Um, and again, this guy would have known that. He knows who his neighbor is. <clears throat> but he's trying to justify himself, trying to justify his behavior, trying to get Jesus to give a wrong answer. Uh, and so he wants to know who is my neighbor. And Jesus responds by telling a little story called the Good Samaritan. And there is a little graphic that goes uh, with our story. We'll refer to that as we go along here a little bit. But he begins the story by saying a man. A man was, on, was going down this road. Uh, he's intentionally nondescript in telling us about the man. Could be anybody. If you're in the audience that day, 
and you're a Jew, you're going to think it's a Jew. You're going to think it's somebody among you. Okay, that's, that's just how our mind works. If I tell you a story, and I start by saying a guy walks into the grocery store, well, you're going to assume that's a white American guy. That's what you're going to assume, because I didn't give you any further description, not a script. It's just somebody like us. So that's what they're thinking. Now, this particular man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. I don't know if you ever noticed this in Scripture. Whenever you're going to Jerusalem, you're always going up. And when you're coming from Jerusalem, you're always going down. Um, that is because Jerusalem is the holy city, and it's, it's higher than other places. But geographically, it's also a truth. Uh, Jerusalem is on a hill. And this particular walk from Jerusalem to Jericho is about 17 miles. Uh, you would... Uh, lose about 3,300 feet in elevation. You're going down, and you, it's, a, it's a secluded road. You're walking through the mountains, as our legend shows us there. Those are mountains on the side. I, I can't reveal the artist. Um, but anyway, this man is walking down uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho along this somewhat secluded road. This particular road is known to be a place where people get robbed. There's, there's robbers. There's guys that hang out because of the secluded nature of it. They can hide. So they're there and they're waiting and they take advantage of people walking by. It's not a safe road to travel on. It's pretty easy. We could uh, criticize the guy, the man. You know, sometimes, I don't know if you've ever said it or thought things like this or heard somebody say, well, what, what were you thinking? Okay, you go to a place like that, that's what's going to happen. You go down that road, you know there's robbers there. You know, we, we can sometimes blame a victim for being a victim. You know, well, if you're out at 2 o'clock in the morning, that's what you should expect. Uh, and so th- there's potentially uh, that, you know, mindset going on in the minds of the people hearing Jesus' story. Um, these particular robbers were not nice robbers. They didn't just rob the guy. They stripped him of all his clothes, beat him up, uh, and left him half dead. And uh, so I think it's not explicit, but probably inferred there. If someone had not come along, he very likely would have died. Okay, he's probably not going to make it, but yay, help arrives, right? A priest comes by, and a priest is a, a pastor. He's a man of God. He's a person that we would think would be willing to help and be compassionate and stop and say, oh my gosh, i got to help this guy. But what does he do? As, again, as our little diagram shows us, he sees the man, crosses the road, and goes to the other side of the road and goes on by without stopping. There's a, uh, a lot of speculation among commentators as to why he did that. Some people think maybe he thought the guy was already dead, and because he's a priest, he might have been going to temple, and he doesn't want to defile himself by touching a dead body, so he avoided the body, maybe. Uh, some people think that maybe he just thought <clears throat> this was a trap. It's a trap. They're hiding. There's a, that's, a, that's bait. If I go to help him, they'll jump and they'll get me. And I'll, I'll get beat up and robbed too. Um, at the end of the day, we don't know. Jesus never tells us what it was that caused the priest to go around and, and not help the man. Uh, but he did. 
A Levite comes by next, also a religious person, a man of God. He serves in the temple. But he too does the same thing. He crosses the road on the other side and continues by, leaving our friend bleeding and dying in the middle of a secluded road. But Jesus says, a Samaritan as he traveled came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. So, Here's, here's the thing, just so you get it. This is the M. Night Shyamalan twist at the end of the movie, okay? This is the unexpected. This is, no, that's not good. Oh, it's good. This comes out, this is, this is a curveball coming so far out of left. This is crazy. No one would have thought this. No one sees this coming. Uh, when Jesus is telling this story, no one listening is going to think, a Samaritan would come by and stop. Two stereotypically compassionate, religious, caring people have left him to die, but now a hated, despised person stops to help him. I was uh, thinking about this this week and trying to contextualize this for us. In our society today, who would it be that would be the Samaritan that stops to help. And I racked my brain. I was really trying to think, how does this work? I, I could, I don't know. This is what I came up with. I, the best I could think of is possibly it was a transgender Muslim immigrant <laughs> who stopped to help the man. Yeah. Um, I just try to think of the most unlikely person. I don't even know if that exists, but he is the last likely person to do this, but what does he do? He doesn't just help. He stops, immediately applies first aid. Oil and wine, he bandages the guy up. He picks him up. He puts him on his donkey. He takes him to a hotel. He spends the night caring for him, so he delays his own journey. He's got to get somewhere, but he's not worried about being late or being on time or any of that because he's, this, this has taken precedence right now. He's going to care for this guy. The next day, he pays the bill, tells the, tells the innkeeper, hey, look, you take care of him, whatever it costs, don't worry about it, I'll cover the cost. That's what he does <clears throat> to care for this man. So Jesus tells the story, and then comes the question. And he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? Uh... The lawyer could not bring himself to say the word Samaritan. He couldn't spit out a transgender Muslim immigrant. So he just says, uh, the one who helped him. That was the neighbor. So here, here, here's the point. Um, he asked the wrong question. Who is my neighbor? And, and Jesus makes it clear that it's not up to us to define who is and isn't our neighbor. All that's really up to us is to be a neighbor. He asks, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus responds back, who was a neighbor? He redefines what it means to be a neighbor. It's not about who do I care for? Who do I love? Who do I reach out to? No, it's about, I, that's what I do. It's about, that's what I do. 
I don't define who a neighbor is. I be a neighbor. I, I care about somebody in need regardless of who they are, where they've come from. And I hope that that's our heart as a church, and I hope that's our heart as we approach this summer and what we're going to do in serving our community, that we serve everyone alike. And we care for and we love and we extend the, the mercy and the, the forgiveness of God to everyone that we encounter in the same way, regardless of who they are, where they come from. I, I, I'll just, I've made it a point. I, I, I don't, I'm not always the most outwardly focused person. I don't always say hi or smile at people. Uh, but I've made it a point. I, I consciously try, when I see someone who I know is different and who might not receive that kind of treatment from other people, I want to make sure that I do do that. I want them to know that. If nobody else welcomes you, says hello, nobody else smiles at you and acknowledges that you're important today, then I'm going to be the one to do that. Um, I, I, I think it's, it's going to be, uh, as I said earlier, uh, an important dynamic in the future as we become a, a, an increasingly diverse culture. And I'm not going to pretend it's going to be easy to navigate all of those waters and how do we love people and that are different how do we love people that have not only cultural differences but ethical and and moral differences than us those are challenging challenging things they're not easy things and yet i believe that's what god's called us to do and i believe that's the point of this story and so i just want us to prayerfully consider this summer who is my neighbor and I would encourage you to begin to pray that and begin to pray that God would just open your eyes and allow you to see people in a different way and see them as Jesus sees them and to begin to uh, consider how I might in some small way be a neighbor to this person today. Um, and I think if there's a takeaway, it's not about who is my neighbor, but how can I be a neighbor? Let's stand